Wang Yu. Oh, hello. Hey there, governor. How's it going? Top of the morning. Oh, Bob's me, uncle. Oh, Bob's your uncle. I knew that. <laughs> Bish bosh. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Joseph, why are we talking that way? Because we have just taken a trip to foggy London town. <laughs> Welcome to Wine You Wish Upon a Star, the podcast where two adults watch Disney animated movies in theatrically released order, and we drink some wine, and then we talk about it and drink some more wine. I'm your host, Brenna Peo. I'm your other host, Joe Peo. And、uh, the reason why we went to foggy London town is because we visited Baker Street. London in the 1890s for the, the Great, Great Mouse, Mouse Detective. Detective. Disney's take on Sherlock Holmes without ever saying Sherlock Holmes. Okay, I feel like it's not so much Disney's take as it's just Sherlock Holmes. It is, and、uh, there's this weird sort of thing throughout it. We'll get into it, but it's, it's like for every person that exists in the Sherlock Holmes universe, there is a mouse. That is the exact same person. Oh no, 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 no! This is not. I wrote this multiple times in my notes. This is not just the Sherlock Holmes universe. Apparently, in every mouse movie, each person has a mouse that is like themselves. True, just yes, like in yes, the rescuers. Every time they got to the UN, it was like there was a mouse version of the person. So somewhere there are two mice podcasting. Oh my gosh! There is a modern day two mice. Podcasting in a tiny, tiny closet with tiny, tiny clothes. <gasps> It very well could be in our closet because they're always in the same geographical、oh、location. Oh my gosh! What if they're like slightly behind this wall here, and they're like, "How do they know?" The mystery hatch that we've been talking about this whole time. <gasps> I thought that was to fix the plumbing. No, it's to let the tiny mice podcast. <gasps> tiny mice versions of Brenda and Joe are in there podcasting on a tiny internet that only mice read. Oh, oh. my gosh! I don't even want to look. Wait, I just、oh, want to let them live their tiny mice parallel lives. But I want to find them just to be like, oh my god, what if we have matching like tiny mice running clothes? Like, what if that mouse is also obsessed with running? Well, I guess the only way to figure that out is if we kidnap a child, and then the child will find the tiny mice versions of us and talk to them. That's true. There always has to be a kidnapped child, no matter what. There's a kidnapped child in this. Not a human one, but there is a kidnapped child. Anywho, let's talk about the wine. So listen, we all get it. We're all kind of、mm, safe at home right now, and we make do with the best that we could. So the wine that we have is not so much themed, but the food we ate is themed because the food we had was kind of a variation on fish and chips, where we just had、um, frozen fish fillets that we had in our freezer and some peas. As far as the chips. Fries are really hard to do at home. Okay, I looked this up. The Pioneer Woman, she had this whole like four-hour-long recipe on how to make French fries at home, and I was like, Nah, I'll order from McDonald's. I love it because she starts out the video being like, Here's an easy, easy way to do it at home. So you cut up these and you've washed them and then put them in the fridge for two hours. So it's like you don't even have to start the recipe until you're、eh, maybe thinking you might want fries sometime in the future. I don't know. Anyway, we nixed those, but we had good fish and peas. It was delicious. I mean, it's kind of like、uh, fish sticks for adults, but they weren't as like deep fried or greasy. Like they were like really fresh, beer battered type stuff. They no, were good. No, we baked them. But the wine. So the wine. I have a funny story for the wine. So yesterday, I went to one of our favorite Italian restaurants, Pinocchio's, here in Burbank. Small business support small businesses. Hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> And I went to get my normal bottle of Chianti that we get with our Italian pizza. For all our fans out there, it's the same bottle that we got when we saw Lady and the Tramp. But we were getting it yesterday, so it didn't have to do with the movie. And I went up to pay for the pizzas and the wine, and the guy was like, "Do you really like this kind?" And I was like, "Um, I don't know a ton about Chiantis, so yes and no." And he's like, "Can I recommend something else?" And I was like, "Absolutely, you can." Because when somebody says, "Can I recommend something else?" you say, "Absolutely, sir, you can." And unless they're recommending the most expensive thing in the entire place, you take them at their word. So he said, "There's a bottle that we have here that is the exact same stuff that we keep on tap at the restaurant, and that is the thing that people usually go to the most." 
And I was like, okay, show me. And so he takes the bottle that I have and he was like, oh, I'll put this back and I'll get you the other bottle. Plus it is the same price and it's more wine. And so I was like, okay, sure. So he brings back this comically large jug of wine. (laughs) And I'm talking like four bottles worth in this one jug. And I couldn't stop laughing. So of course I bought it. Because it was the same price as this one other bottle of wine. And listen here, kids. It's not half bad. It's pretty delicious. And so we had some yesterday with our dinner. And then as we were deciding that we were going to podcast today, we were thinking, I don't know if we have any themed wine. And then Brenna said, we have not even grazed the surface of this giant jug of wine. How about we just theme the food and the wine? We just keep continuing with the Chianti. And I said, sold. And it is delicious, my friends. Well, it's also from the San Antonio winery, which I didn't realize till I got home because the man just set down a jug and I was like, whatever, whatever it is, I'll take it. I realized when I got home, it's from the San Antonio winery, which is actually where we got the champagne for our wedding. Yeah, it's decent wine and uh, no complaints here. Shall we get into the movie? It's London, 1987. 1897. There's a toy mouse. It's dancing. No, it's a mouse that makes toys, not a toy mouse. They introduce this toy shop called Flavishams. Flavishams. But it looks like Flavor Sham. And I kept thinking that this is Guy Fieri's <gasps> toy shop. Oh my god, I wrote that down. Okay, <laughs> later on in my notes, when <laughs> when Basil of Baker Street talks to Olivia, I wrote down Olivia Flavortown. And I was like, what if this is <laughs> Guy Fieri's? Mouse Fieri's long lost daughter. Oh my gosh, there's a mouse version of Guy Fieri somewhere. <gasps> there should be a Disney movie about that. Oh my gosh. Mouse Fieri in Flavortown. And he's like, I'm here with my man, Radigan. <laughs> At the Rat Trap down by the Thames River. <laughs> We're here this week checking out this mouse diner <laughs> for diners, drive ins, and holes. <laughs> Like mouse holes. He makes a mouse stew for a cat that he summons with a bell using <laughs> pink champagne. <laughs> oh my god, I want to see Mouse Fury. <laughs> Guy Fierrat. No. No, they're mouse because rats are considered <laughs> awful. Apparently. Apparently, mice are cool. Rats, not so much. So we're introduced to. Flavortown Flavisham, and he's a toy maker, and he's like showing his daughter. He's like, I got, I made it, I made this toy for you. By the way, when he starts talking, I'm just like, why is Scrooge McDuck hiding somewhere in this room and talking? Because it's the same voice as Scrooge McDuck from all of the Ducktales and everything. He's got that that thick Scottish accent with that same exact tone. He doesn't again these Disney. Voiceover actors don't change their voice. He uses the same tone, like, "Oh, I'm here with my daughter, and this is a toy that I made for you." And he, like, he doesn't change it or like go in lower register or anything like that. It's the same voice. He creates this ballerina doll, and we've already zoomed in close to this toy shop that is minuscule because it is a toy shop that belongs to a mouse. But now we're on the workshop bench of a tiny mouse, and he has this tiny robot ballerina that is moving more smoothly than like anything i think mice have like teeny tiny technology that is like super super refined speaking of teeny tiny technology the animation in this movie seemed like a huge step back from like all of the other movies we watched it did i wrote that in my notes that a lot of this it looks like it's a tv show from the 90s because i mean maybe it's a thing from the 90s that they improve their process but you know how, like, when you watch, uh, like, an old Hanna-Barbera cartoon, like Scooby-Doo, and when they're just like, there must be a clue here somewhere, and then they show, and like, there's, like, the one object that's animated differently from the background, and you're like, oh, that's where the secret hideout is, or that's where the thing is, and then they touch it, and that's the thing that moves. That happens all the time in this, where it's like, the backgrounds are all just, like, these really soft paintings, and anything that has to move stands out like a sore thumb. Well, but not even the characters are animated well. Like, I feel like everything is, like, very rudimentary. Like, they went from, like, refining their animation process to all of a sudden things are, like, hand-drawn by a 12-year-old. Well, apparently, and this is going into a little bit of the production of it, 
this was the project where Disney put people that weren't really gelling well with the Black Cauldron. So they were making the Black Cauldron, and that was supposed to be their big, epic success. And anybody who wasn't really working well on that, like the directors on this, uh, Musker and Clemens, they just said, oh, we're just going to put you on this other project. And that was supposed to be like their second tier. Whereas the Black Cauldron cost a lot of money, made no money. This movie cost no money, actually made a good amount of money. Yeah, no, this one was not painful to watch. It had a lot of character, even though sometimes it got very, very silly. Like a lot of it, like I said, it it felt like a TV sort of thing, like an elongated version of Rescue Rangers or Gummy Bears or something. But it still had a lot more character than something like Black Cauldron. What the heck is Gummy Bears? You've never seen Gummy Bears? Let me paint a picture for you. I think by the the fact that I said, what the heck is Gummy Bears? (laughs) There was a show in the 90s called The Gummy Bears. And it was about a family of bears that lived in the forest in medieval England. Wait, like candy? Kind of like Robin Hood. No, they're like, they're not candy. They were called gummy bears, but they looked like bears. They also had this secret where they would create this potion called gummy berry juice, which made them bounce around a lot. Kind of like flubber. And what? They were like these evil sorcerers and they would fought against these evil kings and things like that. But there were these bears that lived in the forest. They were dressed like the Merry Men from Robin Hood. And everybody tried to get the formula to their gummy berry juice. It's Disney's, like, teenage version of Care Bears. Wait, so they just, like, bounced around on their butts and fought kings and, like, nobody just, like, shot them with arrows? Yes. People did shoot them with arrows. Well, no, I'm saying yes, like, that is the concept. But they would, like, from bouncing, they would be able to avoid it or maybe the arrows would bounce off of them. This was around the time of Tailspin and DuckTales. What the... What? We are going to go down a rabbit hole when we finish recording this podcast because that was a show that I was like... I loved watching, but I never admitted watching it because it was kind of like Care Bears. I was like, that's made for babies. The first bad guy that we meet is a bat who is Beetlejuice? Hmm. Okay, so remember that scene in Beetlejuice where, like, he's in the graveyard and then they build him the tiny, like, hooker mansion? And the whole time he's like, Yeah. That's the voice of that the whole time. Like, I, like, from the moment he started laughing, it sounded like Beetlejuice in the graveyard where he's like, And he never makes sense. You know, I never made that connection, but that does make a lot of sense to me. In fact, that very well could have been the person doing the voice that did the voice in the Beetlejuice cartoon. Maybe. I don't know. Oh, no. I'm thinking like from the movie. No, but I'm saying is that they're, they're, they, the creators could have made that connection as well. But yeah, I, I see that. Uh, the only thing I was thinking is that he's got a peg leg and they keep saying like, is he the bat with, with a crippled wing? But like he flies fine. A little erratic, but he's okay. So we meet Basil of Baker Street, and he comes in wearing a disguise. He immediately shoots at one of the other main characters, holding a bunch of pillows. Eventually, it comes to be that he's trying to do some kind of experiment in connection to some case. I think it has to do with the scoring on the sides of bullets, because he might have a possible murder weapon. But then he tries to match up the bullets, and they don't match. But it made me think of The Dark Knight. Because there's a whole scene in The Dark Knight where Batman tries to replicate a bullet being shot into concrete and then like uses computer magic and Alfred to try to recreate it, which makes no sense at all. But for some reason shows like an address like, oh, this is the address we need to go to. But it was like, I remember that in The Dark Knight being one of the dumbest moments. But here it is. <laughs> I guess it came from the Great Mouse Detective. <laughs> This is also where we get a shot of Basil sitting in a chair and he throws his hands out and you don't see the rest of his body, but his hands hanging over the chair, all the mice have human hands. Like it looks like a human arm and human hands. Like they have four fingers, but they definitely articulate like human hands. And that is a little unsettling. It's very unsettling. The reason why we are introduced is the little girl that was in the first one, Scrooge McDuck's daughter, is saying, I need to find my father, my daddy. And originally they're saying like, oh, well, we're not going to help you. And they're like, he was taken by the bat. And he starts asking questions about the bat. 
he finds out it has to do with Radigan, and he's like, oh, I will take the case, because Radigan is the Napoleon of crime. Yeah, he basically told this little girl to, like, screw off until he realized this, this had to do with what he was already looking for, and then he's like, all right, cool. All right, Basil, good on you. Thanks for helping people around you, you jerk. <laughs> we find that Radigan has her father underneath a sewer grating beneath a fish market. It probably okay. smells horrible. To be fair, it's London, 1897. Nothing smells wonderful. Radigan has the toy maker, <laughs> Flavortown. I'm just going to call him Flavortown from this <laughs> point forward. As Flavortown is building this robot, he's demonstrating to Radigan the robot, and the robot is helping to pour tea. So he pours the tea, then he spoons some sugar into the tea, then he stirs with the same spoon. Then he puts that wet spoon back in the sugar bowl. And I was like, this robot's a monster. Who puts a wet spoon into a sugar bowl? That's the thing that that threw you off? Not the fact that his hands are basically like hedge trimmers, Mm-mm. like blades and everything. Mm-mm. This is one of those things where I was watching it and I was just like, you know, I think when I saw this as a kid, I just thought this was an extended episode of Rescue Rangers because they had things like these shoddily made robots that rats made going haywire. No, the worst part. <laughs> Wet spoon in the sugar holder. Who does that? But what ends up happening is that the dad's like, I'm not going to help you. And so he blows up the robot. To which Radigan's like, yeah, I'm going to kill your daughter. And then he's like, I'll build you a new robot. (laughs) (laughs) They go to Radigan's home, which is apparently a saloon that he built out of a wine cask that is just constantly flowing with pink champagne. And he has a little song number about how he's evil and a genius and everything. And then one of the mice that's there, he falls into a... fountain of pink champagne oh no he gets crazy drunk he falls into the champagne and he continues to drink it and then he's just like blue blue yeah he does that whole disney thing where he's hiccuping and singing and you see bubbles coming from his mouth and nose and then he sings something about like radigan is the best rat and everybody goes (gasps) and then radigan throws him outside rings a bell summons a cat to come and eat this mouse whose name is Bartholomew. Wait, the cat? No, the cat's name is like Felicity. Oh, I wrote Felicia. Or it's, maybe it's Felicia. Something feline. Fel- Felicity, Felicia. They were a little hard to understand in this movie. Bartholomew is eaten. The cat goes away. by Felicia. And... That's why not the whole time. <laughs> I wrote by Felicia a lot in my notes. And then all of the mice continue singing their song. There's, okay, they're all mice, except for one of them. That's part of the thug group. You know who it is. Oh, it's good old Bill. It's Bill from Alice in Wonderland, who we last saw rocketed out of a chimney when an oversized COVID-infected Alice sneezed and shot him into, and yeeted him into oblivion. Did you just say COVID-infected and yeeted in the same sentence? I can't with you right now. I I can't. I am contemporary like the kids. Oh, you are so not. (laughs) So Bill was yeeted into space and apparently ended up in a barrel in the sewers off the Thames and uh, is now doing crimes with uh, a bunch of mice. Well, I mean, to be fair, Alice was in London, wasn't she? I don't know. But where's Wonderland? Is that in London? Well, it was in her brain. Well, she was too busy on drugs. So she sneezed so hard that a lizard flew out of her drug-addled sleeping brain. You're looking at me like I'm the drug-induced Lewis Carroll. Maybe it shot out of his ear and then went into Arthur Conan Doyle's ear. And that's how COVID spreads. (laughs) That's how it is. (laughs) the one thing i really enjoyed during this whole song that radigan's singing is that he's quite the ballerina he is like twirling he is like spinning he is very graceful jumping like on a pointed toe from thing to thing and i was like well look at you you little sweet ballerina boy he looks very top heavy he looks like he should just like teeter over and fall on his face his big old rat nose that's right i called him rat but um no he's 
You called him what? <laughs> no. Felicia? Go away. Felicia? No, 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 Felicia. No. <laughs> no, Felicia. <laughs> so I guess I'm your only podcaster from this point forward. I enjoyed my husband, but he called Radigan a rat, and so we couldn't allow it. <laughs> I have busted forth from Felicia's belly because there was way too much pink champagne in there from all the other drunk mice that she had eaten. By the way, pink champagne is a wine. Therefore, <gasps> wine you appear upon the screen. I just gotta say, I'm a little shook by watching a full-grown man pry himself out of a normal-sized cat. I wasn't a full-grown man. I was the mouse-sized Joe that lives parallel to Joe. That's, that's <laughs> not what I saw. I just watched a full-grown man erupt from a normal-sized cat, and I'm shook. We cut back to our good friends, Basil, his newfound friend Dawson, and little Olivia, as they say, the game is afoot, let's go chase after Fidget and Radigan. Fidget was the bat. Oh my god, the bat had a name the whole time? Yeah, his name is Fidget. Oh, I thought they were just kind of, like, calling him something obscene. Yeah, his name is Fidget, and uh, they're like, all right, now we have a clue. We know where to go, because they look outside, because Fidget was, like, watching them for no reason at all, and they find his hat, and they're like, okay, we know what to do. Immediately, Olivia, the, the daughter of Flavortown, just starts, like, throwing muffins in her coats, just, like, in her coat pockets, just grabbing them, just shoving them in, just like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, here we go. Well, they're like cheese biscuits. The housekeeper had made cheese biscuits. Yeah, she calls them crumpets, but they're special cheese crumpets, but they look like muffins. And she's like, all right, let's go. They say, well, we're going to need to find out where Fidget is. So let's go enlist my friend Toby. And they're like, "Okay, let's go find Toby. Oh, but who is Toby? Toby is Sherlock Holmes's dog. Like They live under Sherlock Holmes. Again, solidifying that Basil is the mouse version of Sherlock Holmes. There is a mouse for every single one of us. Guys, there is a mouse version of you living somewhere within 10 feet of you. So they meet Toby and Basil's saying like, I've got him trained so well. Meanwhile, Olivia is just playing with him and she actually has him trained even better. And so they ride him all the way to this toy shop where Fidget the Bat is currently stripping toy soldiers of their costumes. Okay, this is not a normal toy shop. This is a nightmare toy shop because all of the dolls are terrifying. There's jack-in-the-boxes, clowns, noisemakers, jump scares. Everything is like the most horrifying version you could ever give it. It kind of reminded me of those old episodes of the Batman cartoons when Batman would be pursuing the Joker into like some kind of nightmare toy shop and everything around him was trying to kill him and had an evil face. It's basically, you know, Sid from Toy Story. This is like his jam because everything that is benign and like just a normal doll or just a normal rocking horse looks like it's going to murder you and suck your soul out of your neck. Well, and then when they do get in a fight with Fidge Fudge and everything is used as a weapon, the doll falls and breaks its terrible face and, like, it <laughs> shoots at Dawson and it's just like, meh, like... It's even ugh. it's even the kind of doll that, like, you know, like, when you tilt it a certain way, its eyes will open or close. Yeah. And so it's like, it falls down like an Indiana Jones temple pillar it smashes into a million pieces, and then, like, partial face just, like, opens its eye and stares at Dawson, and he just screams. I mean, yes, that's the only response to that. But I did enjoy that during this, Fidget? That's his name? Yes, Fidget. Like the spinner. Ugh. Fidget hurts its only foot because it has like a peg leg and then he's like my foot my only foot (laughs) that made me laugh but he ends up stealing the little girl like again kidnapping basil is like really upset about this because he tried to warn dawson saying there's danger everywhere make sure you keep an eye on the girl and then when the girl gets stolen he rips into dawson basically calling him useless and horrible and he doesn't know why he brought him along and everything like that and then it turns and you see Dawson and he's like sulking in the corner. 
And this isn't like a quick little like, oh, you said something made me feel bad. He's like frozen there for a good while, like a good minute and a half. At which point Basil has to kind of walk up and be like, oh, I'm uh, I'm sorry. I just got really upset. But well, it's like it's like this really strange moment because it's like they're not even friends yet. Well, I think it's one of those things where like Basil is learning to be a human. I don't know, because he's like one of those like idiot savants so smart that like he can discern all this stuff immediately. But at the same time, he can't like function as a normal like social human being. Well, that kind of is the archetype of Sherlock Holmes. He's the guy who is so incredibly intelligent in certain ways, but he's constantly learning how to become a human, which I think is more of a more recent version of Sherlock Holmes that we've seen. Especially with like the Benedict Cumberbatch version and the Robert Downey Jr. and and any kind of things like House or Good Doctor, where it's just like this incredibly intelligent and useful person has to learn how to become human. So the catchphrase that continues throughout the entire movie is "It's elementary, my dear Dawson." Every single time that that is said, Brenna next to me went, "Ugh." Well, cause ugh, cause it's so like I was just like, "Ugh, okay." It's time for... Frozen. It's time for a smoke break. (laughs) Don't worry, this movie has tobacco use. It's rated G. That was one of the warnings that we saw on this. Uh, Apparently the only movies that we've seen that have smoking are Pinocchio, this, and... What was the other one that had that? I only remember the warning before this one in Pinocchio. We only saw the warning before Pinocchio. Well, no, we saw a real warning before Pinocchio. Like, don't ever try this at home, kids. Like, as if it was like... It was a PSA of sorts, but it was kind of one of those things saying like, in order to preserve this in the way it was originally intended, this is a historical depiction. So please do not take this as influence or something that you should be doing, kids. Well, I think also Pinocchio is apologizing for like that island of debauchery. Yeah, because they they really make Pleasure Island look really fun, especially when they have like this casino where you can just like smoke cigars all you want. So Fidget gets back to Radigan's lair. And at this point, he realizes like there was some crucial clue he left. It was his to-do list. Oh, right. So it's a to-do list that he left for Basil to find. So, of course, Basil finds it. And then Radigan's super mad. And so he tries to get Felicia to eat Fidget. And Fidget full on like Captain Hook's Felicia's mouth where like he puts one foot on either (laughs) side. And he's just like, no. Hold up. Hold up, though. Leading up to this, while Fidget is giving him the news, Radigan has a minor corollary. No, no, not a minor. <laughs> he has a full-on heart attack, and then he goes, like, he, like, swallows it down. Like, his heart starts to build, breaks through his chest, and then he goes, gulp, and he, like, brings his heart back down. Like, and he you're starts like, sweating. Like, his veins are it. sticking out of his neck. He stops in the middle of what he's saying, and he's like, ah! And he's, like, holding his chest, and he's holding Fidget, just like, a, give me a minute, just, ah! And then he just, like, pushes it down, and he's just like, it's okay, it's fine, we're good, you did a good job, thank you. And then he just, like, walks up to the side and rings the Felicia bell to come and eat Fidget. <laughs> I mean, somebody check that man's troponins. He's gotta have cardiac demise at this point. Yeah. I wondered if that would come back, and it did not. It was just, like, apparently that was just this one throwaway joke that the animators were like, wouldn't that be funny if he just has a heart attack on screen and just continues with his day. So Basil throughout the movie does that thing that Sherlock Holmes does where he like deduces random things by just staring at people. And one of the things that made me laugh was he finds this to-do list that Fidget leaves and he like licks it. He does a whole chemistry test on it, everything. But at one point he like smells it, licks it, and he goes, this is held by somebody who ate or enjoyed Rodin's Delight, the cheapest of liquors from the cheapest of bars. <laughs> he says, okay, well, it's got this coal powder, so it's got to be someplace, like, industrial, and it's, got, and it's got these traces of this, like, really cheap liquor and a little bit of salt water and everything like that. And then he, like, takes the note and just burns it to do his science experiment, which is like, okay, yeah, you're a horrible, horrible actual, like, scientist because you're just burning the rest of the evidence to which even Dawson is just like oh oh, oh." and then he says okay 
It's got to be at the only seedy bar next to a sewer by the ocean. And so he finds, like, it's the one place. He starts grabbing out all these maps looking for, like, this thing of London. Okay, quick little fun fact right here. Just a quick little one. (laughs) One of the maps that he pulls out looks like a treasure map. He opens it up for a second and then rolls it back up and throws it away. Apparently, that map is labeled and it says downtown Burbank. (gasps) Shut up! Which is, (laughs) Burbank is where we live. (laughs) What? Is there treasure here? Apparently, we have to go grab your shovel. Shovel time! That's your shovel time music? Shoveling! Why is there a whip? Why does your shovel have a whip? No, that was like me like taking the shovel out of the if it's scabbard. Oh no, that was a whip. See, it's still singing. Now your shovel's like a sword. A sword. Yeah, it's like I'm like Bill Macy and Mystery Men. I think you say Bill Nye. Like I'm like Bill Bill Nye, the shovel guy. Dick, 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 dick. dick, dick. dick. <laughs> you know he used to come country dancing in Burbank. I remember that. Oh, you saw him. I didn't. Do you remember dancing? That was the worst night of my life, where I missed out on saying Bill Nye the Science Guy, and you saw him, and I wanted to die. Do you guys remember bars and people and dancing? Now I'm sad. Bill, 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 Bill. Bill, Bill. <laughs> oh. Basil and Dawson decide to dress up in costume and go to this one place called the Rat Trap. Okay, I'd like to point out Dawson way more committed to this than freaking Basil. Dawson pierced his ear. Basil wears a fake mustache. He wears a turtleneck and a pea coat and he just walks in and talks with an Irish accent. Meanwhile, Dawson is dressed like a pirate with like a belly shirt and a pierced ear. Like Shmee. Like Shmee Schmalsch. Do you know the best time to wear a striped sweater? Is when you're going to get into a bar fight because... all the time. What? (laughs) Is this a Spongebob reference that I don't get? Because most of the times when Brenna makes a reference that I don't get, she says, it's a Spongebob reference, you simpleton, and then walks out of the room. Okay, but to be fair, like... You really should have watched more Spongebob. I was like 17 when Spongebob came out, and I thought that it was a child show. I didn't actually watch an episode of Spongebob until I was like 25, which I love. I love Spongebob now, but I'm way behind on that. You should have had younger sisters that then you watched a lot of Spongebob. Oh, okay. Thanks, Mom and Dad. (laughs) (laughs) Our heroes walk into the rat trap, and it is a seedy bar where they're all being entertained by an octopus that is juggling and tap dancing. But his body is just his nose. Like, he's so anatomically incorrect. Yeah, like his... Imagine an octopus and then fold it in half where the top of the head becomes a big bulbous nose and the eyes are upside down. That's this octopus. It's super uncomfortable. Like, at first I was just like, oh, that's funny. It's an octopus, like, juggling and tap dancing. And then I was just like, first off, the octopus is out of water. Because at first I was like, oh, it's in water. And then I was like, no. And then its body is its nose. And I was like, no, I don't like this more. Like, it was so uncomfortable. It felt weird. Like, I needed to take my skin off. So then he's replaced by a lizard carrying a frog while unicycling. The unicycling and the frog's just like going like, hiya, hiya, like Fozzie Bear. And they kick him off the stage too. Then comes Sexy Mouse singing a song. I'll do anything you want because I'm sexy. They start out the song where this, this mouse kind of looks like somebody who doesn't really want to be there. Just kind of like, maybe maybe they were forced there. To which you turned to me and said like, Oh, is that Olivia's mom? I thought that that was going to be some weird turning turning point. It seemed like a weird thing where it's like she's being forced to be there. Like maybe like a like a Leia in Jabba the Hutt's palace kind of thing. But she's like getting more and more into the song. This song reminded me of the Jessica Rabbit song from Roger Rabbit where it's like but she kind of starts out like not really sultry but wearing a full outfit and multiple layers. And then as the song goes on and it's more sultry, she's like taking off layers. It's a striptease in a G-rated movie. Yeah, we were warned about the tobacco use, but not the striptease. At this point, 
Basil and Dawson are poisoned, but only Dawson <laughs> drinks it. But like, I was just like, oh, like he's going to be really poisoned. Like we're going to see it. No, basically, like, he drinks his drink, and then he's, like, mildly drunk, and then it's like, oh, so he was poisoned with liquor? Yeah, the bartender gives them these drinks and says, hey, these are on the house. So Basil just, like, takes, like, a little bit of it and, like, licks it up from his finger, and he says, careful, Dawson, these are poisoned, and he looks over, and Dawson has fully down the whole thing. And so you think it might be a thing where he's just like, oh, no, he's going to pass out, or he's going to fall asleep or something. Instead, he ends up dancing on the stage... And then immediately a fight breaks out and he's sober just immediately. So, yeah. So the poison was just strong alcohol that wears off really fast. So he had a white claw. <laughs> <laughs> he's more hydrated by the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> no loss of claws. And so they, they, they saw the bat and they're like, let's chase the bat, which apparently he went down through a trap door. So they're already in a teeny tiny sewer grate, but then they go deeper down into the sewer and then they're just like, follow him. And they do this comical thing where they're going up through these uh, pipes. And they're like, left, right, we're here. They end up at Radigan's lair, which we've seen before, and they're just like, oh, no, there's the girl, and she's stuck in a bottle, but then it turns out to be Fidget the Bat. What? It's all a trap! It's a trap! Radigan outsmarted Basil! He thought so many steps ahead, to the point where when he shows up- there's a welcome sign. Like, they went to a printmaker okay, and said, no. to make a sign that said, Welcome, Basil, and confetti. And all of the thugs jump out and go, Surprise! That wasn't just, like, a printed sign. That was, like, a straight-up quilted yeah, it was sign. Like, like, embroidered. Yeah, like, somebody put a lot of time into that, be it, like, the dumb bat or what. But, like, there was a lot of time put into this. So they knew about this, like, seven months before the movie came out, that, like, they were going to catch Basil. Of course, because Basil is the Sherlock Holmes type, and he always has to be thinking so many steps ahead, and he didn't anticipate this. This is his moment where the bottom drops out, and all the thugs are laughing at him, and it becomes the scene from Carrie, where it's just like, they're all gonna laugh at you! And you just hear all the laughter from all the thugs, and there's like these like superimposed ghost faces of all these laughing people are like swinging over his face over and over and over again well he just looks like he just like pooped his pants like he's just like and uh this is it this is his personal low right here so then radigan puts them in a trap but it's like oh my god it's the most like elaborate death trap i've ever seen like this is so much worse than sharks with freaking laser beams like (laughs) it's so stupid it's like bugs bunny level of just like so many different kinds of dangerous things pointed at their heads. It is a Rube Goldenberg machine. Let's paint a picture. They are. Did I say it right? Goldberg. Gold. You said Goldenberg. Goldberg. Goldberg. Do you want to take it again? It's a Rube Goldenberg machine. It is quite. It is quite the machine. <laughs> So Basil and Dawson are tied to a rat trap. And the first time that you go to the scene, you see the the mousetrap being set in place by the thugs. And it's just like, ooh, just that alone? Like, the bar would come down and just obliterate their faces. And that's all you would need. Just, like, set that up. Meanwhile, it's like, they don't do it right then. They're just like, it's time to monologue, like from The Incredibles. Like, you caught him monologuing. So he says, just to make sure you die, this is what I'm going to do. I've got a rat trap set up, also a gun, and a knife, and a crossbow, and po- like just so many different kinds of things. Oh, no, it's really bad. All at like, once. It's this thing where he sets up a record, like an old-fashioned record player, to play a song that he recorded <laughs> it's for even his voice. Basil to listen to <laughs> while he dies. And, and when it hits a certain point, it releases a marble that falls through this whole thing and like sets off the gun, the crossbow, and the rat trap. And an axe. And an axe. There's so many different things involved in this. And he just says, well, you were 15 minutes late to get to my trap. So, (laughs) but I've got to go because my plan is in motion. And then a blimp comes through and he just jumps on and says, bye. And then the song starts. 
And it literally is Radigan singing this like song like, goodbye, my friend. And it's just, <laughs> okay. <laughs> he took so much time to do this. But one of the greatest parts about all of this is that one of the other things that the marble sets off is a camera to catch an image <laughs> of the death of Basil and Dawson. It's very violent. And he says, like, and at the end of it, say cheese. Because get it, they're rats and mice and it's cheese. No, but, but it's like say cheese and die. It just made me think of goosebumps. It, yeah, because in the pictures in the on the cover of the book, it looked like an old-fashioned camera, just like the one that they had there. But it's the say cheese because they're mice and so, rats and, and they love cheese, get it? It's so funny. So they obviously don't die. At the last minute, Basil comes up with, like, he's like, oh, the square root. He just, like, s- literally shoots off all this, like, math mumbo-jumbo. He's like, the square root of the pi plus the triangle plus the square well, the way he comes up with that is Dawson is during this whole thing. He's such a downer and such a bummer, and he's just like, "Well, if you, if you, if you're giving up now and you're not gonna help us, we might as well just set off the trap right now." And he's like, "Set off the trap right now." I get it. And then he just starts doing math in his head. The whole idea is that when the pellet comes down that sets everything off, they set off the trap at the same time. But then it also like shoots off the gun and like the ra- the trap is like thrown off the side it becomes this whole very lucky thing it's like n- there's no way math could have solved that oh no it's math <sighs> but yeah but by the end of it not only are they set free from the trap like even the axe comes down and separates the two of them while cutting their ropes and then the girl is just like released from the bottle at the same time and they all pose for the picture and smile <laughs> Don't you know, like, multiple digits of pi? Yeah, I do. I learned them for Pi Day when I was in high school. Are you asking me to, to, to perform that right now? Yes. How do people know that I'm not cheating and reading it off of a website? Ooh, well, I would probably make fun of you if you did that, and people would know that if they've listened to any of these other podcasts. Okay, you've made fun of me for memorizing digits of pi, so how is that any different? <laughs> Spill me your secrets, sir. <sighs> okay, here we How go. How far can you go? How I don't far know. can you go? I used to be able to go, like, I used How to be able to go only to 50. How far go? Normally, nowadays, I get to a point where I start repeating sections of it over and over again. How many pies can Joey do? Okay, play along at home, friends. Pull up pie. Bum, Just bum, Google bum, pie, P-I. Bum, bum, bum. You know, it It starts 3.14. It's the circle number. I'm, I'm doing the like. Okay, okay. All right, here we go. Musical number for like All right. folks at home. All right. Pi is 3.14159265358979323846264338327950284196419719715399. I don't remember the rest. You're such a nerd. <laughs> uh oh. Radigan is with the queen. We see his master plan. So he didn't actually like monologue and tell Basil everything, which I guess, you know, props for that. But you see his plan happening as it goes along. He finds the queen as she's about to like make some kind of address to her subjects, which for, for all of this, I couldn't figure out. When Radigan was saying stuff about, like, plotting against the queen, was he talking about Mouse Queen or real queen? Because he goes to Buckingham Palace where the queen lives and Mouse Queen lives. Again, there is a mouse for every person. I just clapped to accentuate all of my (laughs) syllables, but, like, hot diggity dog, there is a real Mouse Queen that looks like the real English queen. The queen is surrounded by her guards, which we now know are Radigan's thugs dressed in toy clothes. Well, but that's why he needed the uniforms to begin with. That's Correct. why Frimflom took all the uniforms. Fidget. I should remember that. That's not that hard to remember. <laughs> this is not Black Cauldron. I should you remember know, Fidget. We're, we're really going for accuracy in this podcast. So can you please just kind of do your research and, oh, you know. man. I'm going to accurately punch you in the face. Is that her pulling back her robot arm to punch me in the face? I'm gonna accurate. No, that was the sound of the motorcycle. Okay. Wait. I'm gonna accurately pour myself some more wine and tell you to stuff it. Fair enough. Don't don't do mouth stuff. I mean, don't do like <laughs> sounds. 
<laughs> don't don't do sounds. We're not having Hulk Hogan and Dracula back. But Dracula is like all hulked out with nope. that venom nope. from the pythons. No, we don't want him back. Do you not remember he broke a hole in our floor? Great, yeah. And now we see our mouse friends all the time that look exactly like us. No, that's terrifying and no one enjoys that. They're podcasting right now. And they're talking about us right now. They're actually watching a movie called The Great Flea Detectives. Oh my gosh, like they're watching a smaller <laughs> movie. <laughs> they just watched The Black Teacup. <laughs> and the next one is Paramecium and Company. <laughs> they're going to watch The Little Shellfish. <laughs> okay, these are adorable. <laughs> and I want to watch those. Can we watch them with them? Yeah. We can set up Wait. a phone and pretend they're in an IMAX theater. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> that makes me sad because when we were out on our trail run the other day, I saw a dead mouse. Oh. You guys didn't see it, but I was just like, oh, there's a dead mouse. Whose dead mouse was that? Like, what trail Ooh. runner's dead mouse was that? For a second, I thought you said you that you saw a DJ that wears a light-up mouse head. <laughs> oh, I said, guys, there's a dead mouse. And both of you went, pooch, 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 pooch. And I was like, because they're That's dumb. what I thought you said. I thought you were saying that you saw, like, the DJ. And I was like, how do you know what he looks like under his mouse mask? <laughs> oh, he looks like uh, David Bortles. Blake Bortles? Blake Bortles. <laughs> <laughs> That's the quarterback from the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I, I understand that you're making a good place reference, but those are different people. Because <laughs> Jason Mendoza was the fake dead mouse. The fake, fake dead mouse. <laughs> Bortles. Bortles. <laughs> so the idea is that they're going to replace the queen with a robot queen. We've already seen this genius toy inventor create a flawless, teeny tiny ballerina. And when he creates this robot, which should be so easy for him, it's jittery and sputtery and like, it's it's really kind of disquieting. But yet all the people are just like, no, it's cool. This is our queen. The queen, the fake queen announces, this is my royal council, Professor Radigan. And everybody goes, <gasps> and there's a little kid in the audience that goes, and, and his mother is like, like, no. Show mother, some respect. Yeah, the mother, like, murders him right there. No, she, she just like, covers his mouth. Him. Well, covers his mouth so he doesn't spit out like With that. poison. While Basil and Dawson are making their way to Buckingham Palace, they keep cutting back to Radigan as the royal advisor. He unrolls this long list and says, these are the changes I want to make. And he's just, like, reading them off. As we cut back and forth, we get to him doing item number 96. I will levy a tax on parasites and sponges. And for a second, you're just like, okay, on, like, tiny tiny animals what is what is this he's like what i mean is the elderly and the children so anybody who oh, and the is inform, taking the any, infirm anybody who's taking care of old people children or sick people more taxes <laughs> again disney is just like down with taxes man <laughs> yeah disney's like super anti-government at this point <laughs> down with establishment <laughs> Basil and Dawson show up and they are riding Toby. Immediately, you think that the queen is going to be killed by the cat, but then Toby shows up and chases the cat away into the royal dog keep. Okay, I'm not going to lie. There's not been a cat that I've disliked this much as Felicia. Not even the Siamese cats did I hate this much. But like watching her, I wanted Toby to tear her limb from limb and I wanted to watch it. And then she like jumped over the wall and she's like, Hee-hee. and then her dumb fat butt <laughs> jumps into the royal guard dog house. And you see her bow and her fur fly up into the air. And she doesn't show up again. Like, a lot of times in Disney movies, they'll show up later and it's like, oh, they were kind of bandaged and a little shaved. She's gone. She is totally gone. Like, she is the dead. queen's dogs have torn this cat limb from limb. I can't say I'm sad. Bye. Bye, Felicia. <laughs> oh, my God. I was going to say, wasted opportunity, right? Bye, Felicia. <laughs> Bye, Felicia. 
Basil and Dawson take over control of the robot queen and they start making her say weird things and like move around and kind of short circuit. Meanwhile, Radigan is trying to take control of the situation. And as soon as the queen starts acting weird in front of all of her subjects, he smacks her in the face and starts shaking her by the shoulders. (laughs) And they're just like, oh, I wonder if something's wrong. To which Basil taking control of the queen says, this is not my consultant and he everything is wrong what he's saying and blah 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 until it ramps up to him saying she's nothing but a dirty rat at which point basil actually jumps out himself and says that because that's the worst thing you can say to him so then starts this ridiculous balloon chase Radigan already has his weird blimp that he rode away on that you pedal to steer. But then Basil and Dawson chase after him because he steals the girl. The girl is just happens to be there. Oh, Olivia. Yeah. He just misses Flavortown. Olivia Flavortown is just sitting right there being like, yeah, go get him, Basil. And then he just steals her. He's like, take the girl with Fidget the Bat. And they go off on their blimp. Basil and Dawson give chase by... Creating a up, fart machine. They bunch up a bunch of helium balloons in, sure, in the 1890s and uh, bunch them together as a hot air balloon with a British flag. Okay. But then it's like one of these things where like the music behind the chase is really pretty and it's just like this beautiful music and then like fart sounds. Okay, I want to take a second to talk about this music because... This music is all over the place. First of all, the music was actually written by Henry Mancini, the genius composer who composed the Pink Panther. Like, he is a very, very good songwriter. But they did not use his music well in this. Like, when we go back to the creepy toy store, you would think that there would be, like, creepy music being played because the visuals are all very, very unsettling. But the music is just this, like, we're going on an adventure, friends. But, like, it should be really really upsetting same thing with this whole chase is that it's not like jaunty it's just this like la, 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 we're flying through the sky <laughs> because their hot air balloon is made of farts they fly right into the clock face of big ben up to this point in all of disney's movies the most heavy use of computer generated imagery because a lot of the gears and everything it's all cg I remember this sequence being a lot longer when I was a kid watching it because it was just like exciting and kind of daunting. There's like these really like dramatic Hitchcockian angles where you see these gears that are about to crush people, but then they jump out of the way. But it's uh, it's very short. Like they're just inside and then all of a sudden they're outside. Hey, you know what would be a terrible thing to wear right now? A cape. Why is that? Because that's going to get caught. And it does, because Radigan's got himself some fancy cape. As E says, no capes. Uh, And he wears a cape, and Basil puts it exactly into a cog, and it gets caught. He has to rip it in order to break free. No capes. And he doesn't just rip the one cape. He starts ripping his clothes off as he's running after Basil. As Basil is escaping, you see the fart air balloon that Dawson is piloting. And they're like running out to the clock face. They're jumping on the uh, on the hands of the clock to try to jump off of it and like deliver Olivia. But Radigan is tearing his clothes off as he's chasing after them. He's going full rat here. It's like the thing where he's accepting that I am a beast and I'm going to kill. He looks just like the rat from Lady and the Tramp. He does. Like, his eyes start glowing. Yeah, his eyes get red, and he becomes a full rat. Olivia makes it onto the fart mobile. Basil does not. Fight, 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 fight. They make, they fall, they catch, they fall, they catch. Blah, 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 smash, smash, (laughs) smash. And finally, both of them fall. But as they're falling, Basil grabs the propellers from Radigan's flying machine. But then you know that Radigan's fallen, but like Basil, you hear this like, and all of a sudden he's like pedaling up and he has the like propellers. Do you know what that whole scene is a reference to? Murder? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what. It's a reference to Sherlock Holmes battling his nemesis Moriarty, who is also known as the Napoleon of Crime. And they end up fighting each other at a waterfall called Reichenbach Falls. And in the story, it's ambiguous as to what happens but it looks like the two of them are like grappling each other and both of them fall down except of course 
Disney and all. It's They don't keep it ambiguous. It's like Basil flies back up and he's totally fine. And he keeps the bell. He yeah, keeps... he keeps the cat bell that, yeah. that summons Felicia, the high Felicia bell. You see that Basil is back in his apartment and he's got a newspaper clipping where it says the queen has honored Basil of Baker Street. And then uh, Flavortown is reunited with his daughter and they're just like, thank you. Bye. And then they leave. But then Dawson is just like, okay, well, I guess I got to go find an apartment where I'm going to be living. Because that's when you first see him. He's, uh, he's looking for apartments in a teeny tiny mouse newspaper. And the burlesque singer shows up. I wrote that. I wrote the stripper knocks on the door. And of course, Dawson is just like, and she's like, I need to find Basil of Baker Street. Oh, I'm in such distress. And then Basil is just like knowingly looking at Dawson. He's just like, here, me and my assistant can help you. And she's like, oh, thank you. And then before she says anything, he's just like, well, I can see that you are a woman who's looking for an emerald ring. And he's just like doing this whole like deduction sort of thing. She's like, how did you know? And then the narrator's just like, and that's the story of Basil of Baker Street. The Great Mouse Detective. That's the name of the movie. <laughs> so, Brenna, what did you think of The Great Mouse Detective? I was about to ask you like zero to ten. Zero being poo <laughs> and 10 being not poo i think i enjoyed this a lot more when i was younger like when i was around eight or nine i used to love this movie so much but i think that was because that was around the time that i wanted to become a detective which was like the time when i was reading encyclopedia brown stories and it was like oh i guess the ending right before i read it i could be a detective i wanted to be a detective when i was growing up because i thought they're like the police, but nobody shoots at them. And then later on, I found out detective is just a higher ranking of a police officer. And so you really actually have to get in the line of fire a lot before you're at the point of detective. <laughs> and I just thought they were the people who come in and clean up and just like, oh, I've solved it. <laughs> the footprints went that away. <laughs> Okay, can I? Can we talk about the fact that no one leaves footprints like that? Like, we've run through the mud on trails, and we've come back the same way, and we have a hard time finding our own footprints, let alone, like, clear footprints on, like, linoleum or cement. There's only been one time that that's happened, and that was when it had just freshly rained, and your shoes were brand new and had little claw marks like animals on the bottom of them. So when we came back to our place, we are like, oh, look, there are little claw marks. <laughs> That's the only time. <laughs> and even now, those same shoes don't do that. It was the first time wearing them. And footprints come into play in this movie where they're just like, see, they're look everywhere. at it. everywhere. There's a human footprint and then a peg leg footprint, just like in fresh mud. Oh, okay, that was the other thing. The bat had human footprints and then a peg leg because it had like only one of its legs. That's why it was like, that's my good foot. But like, why did it have human toes? Why? All the animals did. I mean, even the Ugh. octopus with the nose head. I, I don't enjoy when they make <laughs> animals look more human. That's not a thing that I want. So to answer your question, when I was eight or nine, I would say that this was an eight or nine. And now after watching a lot of the classics, after growing up, after seeing a lot of the, the ways that storytelling and animation has evolved and become something that's so much greater, this one feels a lot like a TV show. It feels like a really long episode of Rescue Rangers. And so I would say out of 10, I would give this maybe about a seven. No, not even that. A 6.5. Like it's not an F, but it's I mean, there's the thing of like grading it as far as just between good and bad and grading it as far as how it ranks among the other Disney movies that we've watched. And a lot of those are definitely like eight and above. But this one, I would say, is just below that. I don't know. I didn't think it was fantastic. But I still like found enjoyable things about it more so than The Black Cauldron, more so than Fox and the Hound even. Yeah, I got to say, watching this one after The Black Cauldron, I was like, this is the best movie ever made. Like... <laughs> The Black Cauldron was so bad. But in regards to, like, I don't know, all Disney movies, like, I don't know. I'd probably put this one on par with, like, The Rescuers. Like, I mean, it was all right. Like, as I think as a kid, it would be it would be fun because it's like, oh, it's the kid version of Sherlock Holmes. But being an adult, I'm just like, this is a very one note movie. There isn't, like, a double 
anything. Like it's not like like Fox and the Hound started to create that double meaning to the movies, and then we took a step back. So I'm not sure when we'll get to double meanings again. But this one was like it wasn't bad. I didn't hate it, but it was all right. I see what you mean with the rescuers because I feel like the rescuers was a little bit of an overreach, like swing and a miss. Where this one, it's like the, it, they hit exactly where they wanted to, but it still wasn't great. There were points of it that just seemed very silly and just kind of like, oh, me, me, we're just going to spend some time like, oh, no, don't don't touch my violin. And oh, no, I sat on my violin and just seemed very just like, OK. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we didn't even touch on the fact that Basil took a violin to the butt at one point. But like, but at the same time. They didn't set up a different movie. So, like, yeah. those points that came up, I wasn't, like, thrown off by them. I was like, oh, I expect this in this movie. Whereas, like, Fox and the Hound set up a different movie. And so, like, when it created the double meaning, I was like, oh, no, I get this. Like, it, it set up a different movie. Whereas this one set up a very kind of child Sherlock Holmes slap sticky thing. So I was like, all right, we're cool with this. And also... God, Black Cauldron was the worst thing I've ever seen. So really, like, anything else is, like, a step up from that entirely. So that's The Great Mouse Detective. Would you like some fun facts about The Great Mouse Detective? Oh, my gosh, we didn't even get to fun facts. It was, like, fun factless. Fun facts with Joe Payo. Dead Mouse Remix. <laughs> There's so many dead mice. <laughs> there were in this. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Um, I don't know if you were paying attention in the very beginning. Probably during the credits. Wasn't. During the credits. It's probably making dinner and pouring wine. There was one name that was absent from the credits. We've come to the end of an era, and that is Mr. Wolfgang Reitherman had no involvement in this movie. He didn't direct the last one, but he still was on as a consulting producer. This one, nothing. Did he die? He was still alive when this when this came out, but he he died soon thereafter. Oh. Anyway, the Black Cauldron was the last thing he worked on. Ooh, so he ended on a good note. But you know, he'd been working on all the Disney movies from Snow White. So, thank you, Wolfgang, for your contribution. I got another fun fact for you. But- oh yeah. <laughs> She's changing gears like a motorcycle. <laughs> this is a great audio medium for that. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> okay, so this one's a combination fun fact and a game. Oh, I'm ready. For you. Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. Not you, the listener, but for you, Brenna. Oh. Although, also, you can play a game. Wait, play no, I'm ready. I'm Brenna, the listener. Wait, I'm Brenna. <laughs> I'm Brenna the podcaster. When I was talking to you, like the podcast, the the, the audience of the podcast. No, I'm Brenna the both. <laughs> I pour one on myself. I hope we have any listeners named Brenna out there that are just like, ooh, for me. While this film was in production, the original source material is actually called Basil of Baker Street. So the movie was supposed to be called Basil of Baker Street because that's what the book was called. The vice president of Walt Disney Feature Animation, his name is Peter Schneider. He was the one who made the decision to change it to The Great Mouse Detective, to which the animator said, why are we changing the name? Of course, the reasoning was that, oh, well, because Basil of Baker Street, you know, people don't know what that is or who that is. While the animators were like, obviously, Baker Street is Sherlock Holmes. Everybody's going to know it's a Sherlock Holmes. And it's like, yeah, well, you know, the audience is kind of stupid. And so they're not going to know. So when that decision was made, one of the animators sent out an inner office memo to all of Disney Animation, pretending to be from the vice president, Peter Schneider, saying, hey, from here on out, we're going to rename all of our Disney classics. <laughs> so I am going to read off a list of some of these titles, and you are going to guess what movie this refers to. Okay, I'm ready. I feel like during all this, you need to add, like, game show music. Oh, I'll do that, but yeah. Did you... Elmo's World. <laughs> but like better music. All right. So one of them is Seven Little Men Help a Girl. Oh, well, that was Snow White and the Seven Doors. <laughs> yes. I should put a ding in here. Oh. Pew. Pew. Wait, I got it. I got it. I got it. You got Hold it. On. Okay. Hold on. Pew. 
Okay, that's gonna play for all no, of them. No, that's terrible. Okay. Wait, no, that's scary. Okay. I'm gonna use that one. All right, so that was an easy one because that was the first one. But okay, I'm gonna start reading them out of order, and you're gonna guess. Okay. Puppies taken away. Oh well, that's 101 Dalmatians. Robin Hood with animals. Okay, that's Robin Hood. The little deer who grew up. Bambi. These are not that difficult. I feel well, like I mean, it sounds like their descriptions, difficult. but the idea is that this is what they were proposing would be like the new title for these movies. I feel like this person got fired. The Evil Bonehead. Evil Bonehead? The Evil Bonehead. This is the first one that stumped me. This movie's very forgettable, even after we've just watched it. Okay, so the Black Cauldron? Yes. <laughs> what is the Evil Bonehead? Oh, I guess that was the Skull Guy. Blech. A boy, a bear, and a big black cat. Okay, so the jungle book. <laughs> also, that's a great name for that. The amazing flying children. So Peter Pan and his <laughs> skin kite. <laughs> the girl who seemed to die. Sleeping baby. Correct. Yes. <laughs> anyway, this memo got out of Disney and actually made it to the LA Times and somebody published it even though it was a hoax. And uh, the guy, Peter Schneider, said, whoever wrote this memo, I'm going to figure out who you are and I'm going to fire you. He never did until much, much later, like like into like the 2000s. But then by that time, he was just like, oh, it was a funny joke. I don't really care. This memo is actually, if you look up online, Seven Little Men Help a Girl, you'll see the actual memo as a photocopy, the way it was leaked. And it was like a little tongue-in-cheek thing that had nothing to do with anything, but then it actually uh, got out and kind of demonstrated how the animators were fighting the corporate execs during this time. Can you imagine how panicked you'd be if you wrote this funny little email and you're like, I'm so funny, and then it got out to the Times and you're like, oh God, I'm going to get fired. (laughs) (laughs) So that's probably the funniest thing to come out of The Great Mouse Detective. Um, Any final thoughts? I mean, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the wine. I feel like it was all just kind of like, sevens across the board i can't complain i enjoyed it as well uh not as much as i did when i was a kid but then again i'm not trying to be a non-cop detective who just comes in and solves the case like it's a video game but um i enjoyed it it was fine i thought the quality of the animation was a little rough but uh there was a lot of heart to it more so than the last movie so next up i mentioned it in joking but we will be watching oliver and company Oh, there's another little girl in danger in that one, too. We're getting out of that point. We're getting out of it. What is after Oliver and Company? The Little Mermaid. (gasps) God, I want to watch The Little Mermaid so bad. I know, me too. I really want to watch The Little Mermaid, especially now with adult eyes. I have not seen that movie since probably around around 2000. So I haven't seen that movie in like 20 years. All right. Let's power through Oliver and Company. Okay. Then we get the Little Mermaid. Got it. That's our reward. Let's do it. All right. Okay. And on that note. On that note, cheers. Cheers.